Today on the podcast, we have a special treat. What if I told you, name this preacher. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we... How many times have you heard that? And who says that? Well, today, we have him on the podcast. Welcome to Kingdom Speak with Pastor Daniel McKillop. Today is going to be a special day. Yes, it is. I don't think it's going to be a serious day. What do you think, Pastor? <laughs> well, maybe seriously special. Yes. yes. <laughs> we are honored to have Elder Bishop, world-renowned evangelist Martin Ballestero. Mm-hmm on Kingdom Speak today. Welcome. Thank you. It's my great honor. Man, why don't you tell us first, because I know you keep track of this, how many um, revivals have you preached to date? I've preached my first sermon at the age of 14. I started preaching out at the age of 16. I went full-time at the age of 19. I pastored for 30 years, and the uh, last, the last, I didn't keep track so much of the first 10 years, but the last 20 years that I pastored, I preached out approximately 24, 25 weeks or parts of a week a year. So the total is, as of my last revival, was of 1,140 revivals, wow. hmm. 440 conferences and 85 camps, and nine cruise ships. I forget how many banquets or marriage seminars. But other than that, I'm just folks. We just, it's unfair for me to say how many revivals because my revivals weren't counted like my dad's generation. His sure. revivals might have gone 10, 12, 16 weeks. Uh, Nowadays, two, three weeks is kind of average. Occasionally, you get a month. Uh, this time around, I evangelized uh, six years the first time. And this time, 21 years, uh, I've, I think my longest revival is like 12 weeks, 11 weeks, a few 10 weeks as well, uh, eight weeks, some six weeks. But normally around a month or so, there's two types of revivals to preach, and you can't adapt to them. You better not be interested in evangelizing. One, you have uh, old-time Pentecost who said, uh, hey, when y'all get done at Brother uh, Wilson's, y'all come over my place. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they don't care when, you just come. And then there's some that says, we want you from the 17th to the 31st. And you have to be able to, to uh, synchronize those two. That's right. Yeah. So far, the Lord's been kind, and my friends have been many. Uh, you know what? I traded on my dad's name when I started out. Wow. Uh, Daddy never called anybody. He never said, uh, I need you to have my son come and preach. 
my father-in-law was the district superintendent of Michigan and a well-known preacher and pastor. My mother's people were Gleason's. We have almost 200 preachers in our family. We could have used a mechanic or electrician or <laughs> somebody knows how to do something. <laughs> but but uh, if you get invited back the second time, you better bring a little something, something to the table. And it's always an honor for me to go back the second time. For the first time since this COVID thing, I leave tomorrow morning at about uh, six o'clock. I'm headed for uh, Mississippi to preach a weekend. Uh, the pastor there is a doctor and his wife is a nurse practitioner. And they oh, have you're in good clinic, hands. So we ought to be covered on both sides. You're in good Holy hands. Ghost and otherwise. <laughs> and then I come home for, for a day and a half and I fly out to Brother Ken Bowles in in Washington. And it looks like we're going to have parking lot church out there for a while. So we're prepared for that. That's incredible. Uh, I have preached, I think, 10 different series of services on this front porch that I'm on right now. <laughs> well, we've and, been the recipient uh, of uh, some of those ourselves. So thank you for that. Uh, oh, it's my great honor. And a time or two, I even got some of that anointment on me while I was uh, right here. <laughs> yeah, you sure did. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What's it been like adapting through all of this weird time we've been going through? What's that been like for you with a man? Well, I've... I made me a little cardboard sign so I could sit down by the corner at the stop sign and, and you know, we'll preach for food. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the first thing you got to do in all this is you, you can go into panic mode. Mm. Uh, here in the States, Lord, they went into panic mode. They bought up toilet paper and sanitizers mm -hmm. and, and everything. Uh, we got a meat scare going on down here now. If you don't understand that God's got this, you're going to scare yourself to death. Mm, My wife sir. and I have a, people look at me funny, but I have, I've just had a peace about everything and I have shed tears and I know I'm 76 years old and I'm supposed to be past the crying stage, but um, out of nowhere, unexpected, something will come in the mail, a check. I deposited wow. one yesterday that made me cry. Uh, I'll just tell you, we were going through probably one of the darkest times of my whole ministry there in South Bend. I'd been a pastor about 17 years. So you would think by that time, your big battles would be over. Mm -hmm. It was on a Monday morning, and my wife was sitting at the table preparing our, our bills and writing out checks. And she said, honey, I don't even know if God knows where we're at. And she scared me by saying that. I I've never, had never allowed myself to talk like this. Don't you ever say that. And she took her little Kleenex and she daubed her nose because I had never raised my voice at my wife before or since. And while my hand is still out towards her, the thought crossed my mind, how do you know God knows where you're at? <laughs> and I All right. Hmm. And before I can get my hand down, the house phone rings. Remember back in the day when we used to have phones that were connected to the wall? Well, we <laughs> had one of those, a, a landline. And I pick up the phone without moving. I said, hello. And a voice said, is this Brother Martin Ballestero? I said, it is. He said, you may not know me, but my name is uh, Brother Coleman Pilot, and I pastor in Atmore, Alabama. I've just come back from the church where for the last three hours, God wouldn't let you or your wife off of my mind. I don't know what the need is. I prayed for you. 
and God told me to call you and tell you that he knows where you're at. <laughs> I blubbered. I talked in tongues. <laughs> you know. I sounded like a baby. And I'll just tell you, God knows where you're at. Yes, sir. Uh, you can suck our thumbs and complain and fuss. The first thing that you have to learn about living for God is trusting him. Mm. Uh, when I got my father's permission to go evangelize, I know I've taken 19 rabbit trails after you asked that one question. I've just taken advantage Keep going. Of that. Keep good. going. I wouldn't, I knew not to ever leave on my own without my father's blessing, my pastor's blessing, sure. <laughs> happened to be the same person and, and prayers and whatever. So my dad put his good housekeeping seal of approval on it. I'd saved up. I had $85. This was in October of 1963. So I go in the house and tell mom. And she said, well, honey, where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. Let me just put in right here that if you have a gift, it makes room for you. You don't wow. make room for your gifts. Yes, sir. That's yes. the school I was raised in. Yeah. I was never the kind of preacher who said, uh, Hey, Reverend, you don't know me. My name is Larry, and I'm in your area. And if you could work me in, I sure would appreciate it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I have never done that. And yet somehow I get to eat regular. And all I can say is thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Anyway, my mom said, well, who are you going to preach for? I said, I don't know. She said, you don't know? I said, no, ma'am. She said, how much money do you have? I said, I got $85. She said, well, how are you going to make it? This is when gas was 19 cents a gallon. I said, well, Mama, you and Daddy left Oregon with us three kids, and you had $7, and somehow you made it to a camp meeting in Louisiana on that $7. The same God that took care of you is going to take care of me. Wow, absolutely. It sounds stupid, but that's just the kind of faith that I had. I just believed sure. if it worked for them, why wouldn't it work for me? Sure. So, and then... I, I took off. I I slept the first night in my car. And let me just say to you that I've preached all these revivals. And you know what? One of the things that I carry in my car when I drive my old suburban down the road, I got a sleeping bag in my car still. You know how many times I've used it this year already? Three weeks worth. So you think this is really a high lifestyle? Of wow. I know what it's like to go into truck stops and take a shower. Sure. Only $5. Anyway, that was just a side note. There's no charge for that. <laughs> it, it, anyway, I, I get to El Dorado, Arkansas, and my muffler, my tailpipe fall off. I got a 55 Ford six-cylinder stick shift. I get to Leesville, Louisiana, and my generator quit generating. My alternator quit alternating. And I got a crack in my distributor cap and my carburetor needed to be rebuilt. I hate it and when it that happens. Me, it, it cost me $75 to buy the parts at the junkyard and pay to have them put on. That leaves me $5 out of my 85. And I've only been gone two days. I'm too proud to call collect. Never did. I go to the bank. I cash my $5 in for coins because it's going to cost $3.50 for three minutes to talk to my dad. So I go to the phone booth with a dollar and a half in my pocket, and I call my dad. I said, Daddy, I don't want to tell you where I'm at. This is what's happened. <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going to sleep tonight. 
haven't had supper. I have no schedule to preach tomorrow. All I want to know is what do you do now? Mm. Wow. He said, well, son, let's suppose you do starve to death and die wherever you're at. <laughs> he said, if you do, I'll build you a monument bigger than George Washington's. And then he chuckled. <laughs> Man, I love to laugh, but I couldn't see one thing funny about what he was saying. I said, well, daddy, why would you do that? He said, he got serious. He said, well, son, if you starve to death and die, the reason I'll build you a monument bigger than George Washington's is because you will have been the first man God ever let down. Wow. Said, oh, daddy, thank you for that. I love you. And I just hung up the phone real quick because I knew I was going to blubber around yeah. talking. And I knelt in that phone booth and I said, God, if you'll forgive me for doubting you, I won't do that no more. Wow. Little side note, I found that phone booth about six, eight years ago. Wow. Mm. It was like it was like a homecoming. Mm. It, it's still there. I walk out of that phone booth. And a brother Cranford, who pastored in Sulphur, Louisiana, said, Well, hey, Brother Marty, what you doing here? He'd come to my father's meeting in in March, and this is October. And he pastored down the road about 25 miles. I said, I'm gonna try to start evangelizing. He said, Well, have you had supper? I said, no, sir. He said, do you like seafood? Well, I'd never had seafood before, but I said, oh, yes, sir. <laughs> when you're hungry, you look, if you want to evangelize, don't be a picky eater. Okay? Isn't that the truth? <laughs> so, so we went to his house and his dear French wife, Lord, she could fix the gumbo and the fried catfish and mm -mm 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 kind of stuff. So we get done eating, and he said, uh, Marty, we have a youth service tonight. Could you stay over and preach for us? Well, I checked my, my day timer, and it seemed like I had an opening. <laughs> so I stayed. I think he gave me $14.50. It was like, man, I didn't know there's that much money left down here. <laughs> he called up Brother A.L. O'Brien, and I went over to O'Brien's. I stayed there for nine weeks. Brother O'Brien got me a revival in Starks, Louisiana. He called Brother C.W. Shue. He called Brother J.H. Stanton. I was gone for nine months, and I went home for three days just to trade cars and go back out again. Mm. The first thing I had to learn to do was to trust him. Wow. I never made a phone call. God just opened one door after another. And let me throw this in, and then I'm done on this subject, unless you want to ask another question. When I resigned at the age of 55, I had $150 to my name. Uh, I'd married my daughter off. I got my kids paid their way through college. I'm broker than the Ten Commandments. And that's pretty broke. So <clears throat> I get an invitation to preach for Brother Bill Garrett in Joplin, Missouri. And so I, I'm taking my wife down there. I've never applied for a gas card in my life, still haven't, but we didn't have debit cards back in the day. So I, I find myself uh, trying to be careful how much money I spend. I have a blowout somewhere in, in Miss, Miss, uh, Missouri, and I go to the Sam's Wholesale Club because they had the uh, road hazard insurance on the tires I'd gotten from them. The guy, the manager said, I tell you what, if you buy two tires, I'll give you two. I said, how much is that going to be? He said, um, $102 for four tires. Well, I knew that was a good price, but that leaves me with $48. I'd like to buy my wife supper. I'd like to buy her meals Monday when I go home. On the, 
plus I got to buy gas. If the man gives me a check, I won't be able to cash it. I got to leave at six in the morning. But I knew I needed tires and something said, yeah, go ahead. So I turned around. I said to the man, yeah, go ahead. He turns around and he hollers out the order. And when he does, I get this on the back of my hand and I look and a white haired man in about his seventies lays a hundred dollar bill in my hand and doesn't say a word. He just walks out the door of Sam's wholesale club. I'm standing at the counter and I lift my hands. Oh, Jesus, thank you. And it was as though the Lord said to me, I figured out how to get you four tires for $2. But before I could bless you, I had to let you have a blowout. And sometimes in life, all we can see are the blowouts. And we mm -hmm. can't see how the Lord's trying to set us up for a blessing. Wow. So that was my refresher course on trusting God. And this pandemic is like level number three. Sure. Uh, my wife and I have a, a full refrigerator. Our bills are paid. God's been so good to us. All I can say is God knows where you're at. Wow. Amen. Wow. That is, that is so good. Um, cause elder really, you know, it's, it's been interesting. We've had, uh, missionary Brad Lambeth on talking about how the pandemic has, has caused them to have to adapt and, and how it's affected missionary life. Um, so that's an interesting perspective on it from an evangelist standpoint, because I know I can speak for myself. We've had to cancel out even uh, a schedule that we had with you, you know, and okay. and and you can feel even as a pastor, I can feel the pressure of not wanting to make the phone call, and you're the evangelist not wanting to receive it. And I've been on both sides of this fence. I got that. Uh, I try to be thoughtful about expenses. Uh, this is I don't probably shouldn't say this, but. More, more times than not, I don't travel on planes with my wife. I don't want to have extra expense for the pastor. Mm -hmm. If we go by car, that's different. But, uh, brother, there's, it's amazing how one thing gets canceled and God just gives you a supplement over here. Wow. And the first thing I had to learn to do was, it's like almost, it looked like the whole, everything just got for everybody and yet somehow god lets it happen one day at a time and you just have to say god you're my bookkeeper you're my business manager i just leave it all in your hands yeah. and uh, he takes care of business he does you know you you've um you've raised a very interesting um subject there i have How, yeah you have <laughs> i know it was unintentional but you know, when God closes one, he opens another. So a, a question that I would ask is, uh, how does the church, I'm, I'm, I'm a young pastor, and I, I do want to say this too, you know, I've heard you preach numerous times, and you've been such a, a blessing to our church and churches all across North America and around the world. Uh, but I hear you refer many times to your daddy. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever heard you preach without working something in somewhere about your dad. And that's on purpose. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. 
Well, here's, here's, I, I forgive me for interrupting. No, that's good. But when I started evangelizing this time, I was in a meeting with brother uh, James Kilgore and I said, brother Kilgore, it seems like every time I get up to preach, I say something about my dad used to say, or my dad always said, and people will think I don't have an original thought of my own. Brother Kilgore said, I never preach a sermon without mentioning something that my dad used to say. Do you hear me say, I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name mm. under heaven given him. You know where I got that? My daddy used to say that. Wow. And you know what brings tears to my eyes is to see my grandsons get up to preach. And that's Jeez. how they open their sermons. Wow, that's so cool. Paul, see, here's, um, Pastor, here, here's what you and I have in common. Paul said to Timothy, the same commit thou to faithful men. Right. Right. So I don't have to come up with a new doctrine, and neither do you. Yes. I don't have to come up with a new revelation, and neither do you. All I'm doing is just preaching what they preach to me. The old message still works. Once delivered unto the saints. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I tried my best to keep my dad alive. And there's some stories I tell, characters I preach about. I can While I'm preaching about it, I can see myself or visualize myself as a seven-year-old on the front row, my legs just swinging back and forth <laughs> in the front seat, For listening sure. to my daddy preach. For sure. And I'm telling the story like he used to tell it. And wow. you know what I do? I find myself, when I'm in a revival, at least one of my messages are going to be one of the messages that I preached when I first started out. I see too many preachers trying to change their message as they get older. I want to make sure I'm still preaching what I used to preach back in the day. When my daddy died after the funeral that night, I sat in front of my mother with all of my children, my cousins, aunts, uncles, and whoever, and I took my mother's hands. I said, Mom, I want you to vow a vow with me right now. I said, I can tell you a number of preachers, and I named about five or six that were conservative, holiness preachers. And they died, and their, sin, their sons took over the church, and they led it in a charismatic direction. And what happened was the mother went with them. I said, Mama, God forbid that I should ever go astray from what my father put in me. Wow. But if I do, vow with me right now that you won't follow me because what daddy preached was the truth. Mm. And so I try to make sure I do checkups several times a year, making sure I'm still thinking right in here and thinking right up there about this message. Wow. It still works. There, there's... You know what? We get in the Holy Ghost now. If, if the church was like a restaurant, it's like the server coming up, say, uh, uh, asking about, about your salad. Would you like, uh, what, what kind of dressing would you like with your salad? You want ranch or blue cheese or French? It's like saying, well, I'll take the, and if holiness or worldliness for salad dressings, if you will, mm -hmm. I'll take the Holy Ghost with a side of, with, uh, with a side of worldliness. Just put it on the side. Uh, we, we all kinds of people claim to have the Holy Ghost. I think they got that other ghost instead of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely true. Wow. You know what? We're living in a day where we, we try to find new uh, avenues, new, what, what would you call it? We're looking for ways to have revival. And we, we feel like, man, I, I'm just, 
what, what is it that I could be doing different for revival? Well, my first reaction to that is, as an eighth grader, I used to fish almost every day in Yakima, Washington, a little stream for trout. I had a stick, fish line, salmon eggs on a little hook, no, nothing fancy, didn't even have a fishing pole. But the, the salmon would see me or the trout would see me and they wouldn't bite. But if I stood behind the tree and I fished, I could catch them. And when we stand behind the tree, Calvary, wow. where our humanity is not seen, that's how we catch fish. Because when they people see our humanity, they won't bite. Mm. But when all they can see is Jesus, that's when they go for that. So I've been doing my best to stand behind, behind the tree. So we feel like, man, I got to do something new. I got to do something fantastic. That, uh, Mr. Einstein is accredited with saying that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Yes, sir. I say that's not insanity. That's faith. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Wow. And the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. Peter said, Lord, we've toiled all night. We ain't caught nothing. N-U-T-H-I-N. And the Lord said, do it again. Do the same thing this, again. Yeah. They marched around Jericho six days for six days. Mm -hmm. they, they did it six days, six times on the seventh day. But the seventh time, something happened. Did you know that when Elkanah took Hannah to church, people fussed at her, mocked her, made fun of her, no babies. He didn't quit church. The preacher's boys were heathens, but he didn't take his kids out of the church school or the youth group. He kept going back to church. Mm. Hannah kept praying. She did the same thing every year, wow. expecting different results. That wasn't insanity. That was faith. This sounds like a sermon. It could be. Could be. <laughs> maybe you can do. Maybe you can do something with it. There was a man <laughs> by the pool of Bethesda, thirty-eight years, but one day something different happened. Wow. I'm just telling you. I, I went to preach for Brother Lyles in 2004. He was there a month. I think we had about six people get the Holy Ghost. I went to take care of the church for Brother uh, Johnny Hare for eleven weeks while he was recovering from surgery. And one Wednesday night, I go preach for Brother Lyles, and there's 26 Hispanics. People, men, in the, they're in the church, brand new converts. So, man, what's happened? So, what'd you do different? He said, not a thing. We kept having the same pre-service prayer. Mm -hmm. He kept worshiping just like we always had. Mm -hmm. One person came in. You know one person can fill up a church? Sure. One yeah. person came in that got the Holy Ghost, and they went telling everybody. And there's 26 out there. <sighs> so, they could... Continued daily with one accord of the temple, breaking bread. House mm -hmm. to house, got us a heart. And the Lord added to the church daily. So daily. Be stepped. daily. So just keep on doing what you're doing, Pastor. Wow. It's not insanity. It's faith. Wow. That's all the announcements you may be seated. Musicians. <laughs> musicians. <laughs> let, let me ask you this, Elder. You, you said something interesting a, a few moments ago about a couple times a year, you do uh, a checkup, introspection. So, as a as a young, as a young pastor, can you can you break that down? What what does that, what does that look like to you? How how do I do that? Because man, I, I don't want to get off track. 
there are some things that we that become sound doctrine. In other words, it complements. It is um, approved of sound doctrine. It's acceptable amount sound doctrine. There are some church standards that we have that uh, that are important to us. Mm-hmm. And each pastor answers to God. I, I got that part. I had friends that had uh, different type of dress codes that I had, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say the shoes. They could wear some styles, but not other styles. Mm-hmm. I had some friends that wore watches, some that didn't wear watches. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, I had some friends that, that preached against uh, a certain kind of tie or how you part a man parted his hair. I, you took that one a little uh, serious. I I hope my part is wide enough to be acceptable in their, their group at this point. I got in trouble from one because I combed my hair without a part one time. And boy, I got told off. What did you do? Put it straight back? Actually, uh, the man said, look at you. I'd been married a month. He said, look at you. You call yourself a preacher. You're combing your hair without a part. If I was your father, I'd be ashamed of you. Wow. His name was Howard Davis. And my father called Brother Jimmy Davis his pastor. And the Ballesteros respect the Davis boys. Sure. He turned to the church in Riverside over to Lee Davis. <clears throat> so I didn't interrupt him when he got done, and it took him several minutes to finish telling me off. <laughs> several I minutes? Davis, <laughs> thank, thank you for loving me enough to be brave enough to say what you said. I'm going to go up to my room right now, and I want to put a part in my hair. Thank you. I love you. And I went upstairs and I put apart my hair. My wife said, Dave, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting my hair, uh, putting apart my hair. She said, well, I like it without a part. I said, so do I. And I went downstairs with the part in my hair. Brother Davis uh, looked at me and just didn't respond, just ignored like I wasn't even there. Not knowing that 30 years later, my father-in-law would die and he would marry my mother-in-law. And now I, he would be my stepfather-in-law. I'm glad I, I showed <gasps> good spirit. When, when he married her, I had this part and he was combing his hair without a part. But I never brought that up. <laughs> Time and place. So, so here, but here's what I'm saying though. See with him, it was that hair thing. So I wrote, uh, I wrote a blog about, um, uh, they're everywhere. And I was writing, I wrote a little blog about women, about, I said, they come to church. They used to hide from the preacher, but now they don't. People used to help them hide from the preacher, but now they're even up on the platform. Sometimes the pastor's wife brings them to church. And I was talking about knees showing in church. <laughs> I've got over 175,000 people cussing me out in one week on my blog. 175,000. went viral. I had that many, if not more, fussing because I wrote about, I don't like facial hair on Pentecostal men. Mm-hmm. You can call that a preference. I didn't even try to use Bible. Sure. If I had used Bible and wanted to use any kind of argument, I could have said, you know, the priest was allowed to wear a beard, but he couldn't trim it. Sure. Mm-hmm. You show me somebody with a beard, they're trimming it. Sure. They don't look like the Amish. Sure, absolutely. That's all the you may be seated. Yeah. So don't worry about offending uh, the Amish. They won't see this. Here, here's my point. Though. <laughs> I find myself trying to stay as far away from the edge of the 
about the curve of the mountain as I can. I'm, talking, wow. I'm trying to see how close I can get to it without falling off. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I, I'm too old to take chances. There's nothing worth going to hell over. Whew. So uh, I've got a, the world's most wonderful wife. I've got wonderful children, 16, 17 grandkids. Uh, I got a lot of folks watching me. Sure. I can't afford to mess up. I, I can't. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm doing my best to um, do it right. You know what? If you think you know it all, somebody's going to come along and just knock the bucket right out from underneath you. I preached a men's conference, and I don't want to tell you where because I don't want to bring uh, Mississippi into the story. But Because, <laughs> you know, Laurel, Mississippi is a very nice place. <laughs> and so uh, I get done preaching. People are in the altar. It's a men's conference. And several have gotten the Holy Ghost already. And I see an 80-some-year-old man come to the pulpit. This has been six, eight years ago. I see a man I preached for I preached a conference with him when I was 24. I thought, oh, Jesus. Didn't even know he was around. He comes up on the platform, and I, I stand up to hug him. And he just took his hands in, in the chest and just pushed me right back down in that chair. I'm sweating. I, I'm more slap out. I'm, I swept my suit out. I'm tired. And he said, you preach with authority tonight. And the people received that. You had a word for us. He said, when Jesus sent out the 12, he sent out the 12, he said, and as you go preach and heal, he said, when he sent out the 70, he said the same thing. He said, he didn't say preach and pray for him. He said, preach and heal. He uh-huh. said, there was a man sitting there. So I'm thinking, I'm defending myself in my head. I think, oh, Jesus, I didn't preach about healing. Mm-hmm. Paul said, so-and-so I've left sick. And Paul didn't heal everybody. So I, I'm defending myself in my sure. in my own head. Sure. Uh, but this man is, you know, a, an older man. I'm trying to be thoughtful. He said, there was a man in a wheelchair sitting out there in the aisle, and you completely ignored him tonight. If you want to be used to God, do what they were first sent to do, preach and heal. I said, yes, sir. And he turned and walked off. Didn't get a hug or nothing. So I went home. I'm going to study this out. You know what made me mad? Not mad, mad, but mad at myself. Sure. He was right. (laughs) (laughs) That's commandments one and two of the gospel, preach and heal. Yes. And oh Lord, we're talking about missionaries, and I, I got to enjoy Brother Lambus a podcast with you. I've been in ham radio all my life, and I got a call one morning from a, a wife of a friend in ham radio. She said that my husband's in the psych ward at the hospital. Could you pray for him? He was a Catholic boy. So yeah, sure. So I just come home from Sunday dinner with. Uh, Brother Juan Alviar, he's in the car. I said, Elder, I'll be up there 15 minutes or so. You'll be okay. Snow's on the ground. It's cold. I said, yes, sir. So I run up to the psych ward, and I had to push the little button. And a 400-pound nurse comes to the door, 
and lets me in. And I see about 30 people just mingling all around, just mulling around and milling around, I should say, in that room. And there was a female nurse, and she took me by the hand to pull me through the crowd. And a woman screamed at me, I know who you are. You're a man of God who can tell us what we need to do to be saved. And I turned to point my finger at her to say, come out of her in Jesus' name. And that nurse grabbed my hand and pulled me through the door and closed it. Mm. I got to see the man. He was out of it, medicated out of it. I prayed. I wasn't in there two minutes, hardly. I left to come back in that room. There was no one there. I go out to the car and I tell Brother Alviard, he started crying. He said, Brother, Brother Marty, he said, God gave you a moment and you missed it. He said, do you know that's how we have revival in Brazil oh. and in Chile? He said, if you had cast the devil out of that woman, she'd have been healed. Uh, the nurse would have verified that that happened. It would have made the news. Her family would have gotten church, come out. She would have got the Holy Ghost. The nurse would have got the Holy Ghost. No telling what kind of revival would have come just from that one room, but you missed a God moment. Wow. I'm 30 years old at the time. I feel like a complete failure. So you have to be sensitive and looking for moments mm. of the Holy Ghost. My friend, Tim Wiggins, uh, who uh, is a masterful guitar player. He was, uh, I think, pastor of church in Madera, California at one time. He he plays the guitar, from my point of view, kind of like a Chet Atkins. Yeah. And um, he said that his favorite song was not a gospel song. It was more of a secular song. It was so difficult that no one records it. And it took him almost a year to learn to play that song. Now, when you can already play the guitar like Chet Atkins and it takes you a year to learn a song, mm -hmm. that's a bad song. <laughs> it's a bad song. I, I, I play, I can get you through a church service on a guitar, a bass, a steel guitar, a banjo, a mandolin, anything with strings, I can get you through a service. Mm -hmm. But I'll never play at Carnegie Hall, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not professional. So, but I was intrigued by his gift. He said when he went to Spain as a missionary, he was trying to learn the language and getting all set up, ready to start in about a week or 10 days, something like that. <clears throat> he said he went on, on a Saturday. He went. Out, he had his cardboard boxes with a sheet over it. was going to be his or tablecloth or something over it, going to be his pulpit in his living room. That, that's all he had. His wife and daughters were doing well with the language, but he was still struggling learning Spanish. He goes out into the street and on a Saturday morning, and he sees a guy in a tuxedo with a little sandwich board sign and identify him as a professor or a doctor of, of, of uh, music at the state university there. I have degreed and he has product for sale on a little table. And the guy is playing his guitar, just standing there picking in the, the guitar. He said, the Holy Ghost said, witness to him. He said, well, Lord, I can't, I don't know the language well enough. And after every song, witness to him, he come again and again and again and again, and he just kept ignoring it. And finally, after about the fifth song, he just gave up and walked away. And as he's walking away, the man began to play that one song, and he knew that nobody played that song. He felt like it had to be a God moment. Wow. 
let me interrupt that story to tell you this one. When Jesus said to Peter, go down to the sea and cast in a hook, mm. the first fish you catch is going to have a gold coin in its mouth. Take that coin, go pay our taxes. Mm. The point is God put the fish on the hook. And sometimes God puts a fish on your hook. He was a commercial fisherman. He used nets. So he had to have his own revelation. This is a different way of fishing. Wow. You're standing in the bank. You're standing in Walmart checking out, and you just kind of start talking with the person in front of you, behind you. You kind of hit it off. You have to ask yourself, is that God putting the fish on my hook? Hmm. Wow. So he said, the man started playing that song. He turned around and walked to him and with, got within about five feet or less and tears coming down his face because he knew this was a God thing. And the man watched him, and when he finished playing the song, he takes off the guitar, and he gives it to Brother Wiggins. And Brother Wiggins puts it on himself and plays that same song back to that man. And that man invited him to his house, and that was his. And he got the Holy Ghost, and that was his first convert wow. in Spain. So we have to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost and those kind of things. We never know how God's going to use us. I think you've probably heard me tell the story about the culvert that my dad stopped on and preached. Yes. Yes. So we have to pay attention to what God's speaking to our, our hearts as we go through this life. Don't ignore the call. Don't ignore when God speaks to you about that. You know, there's, there's um, I mentioned to our church uh, a few a few times during this pandemic, I've said it. I, I don't want to miss uh, those God moments. And there's there's times that God thunders, and there's times that the lightning flashes. But man, I want to be able to pick it up even when He's whispering. Uh, the gentle, the gentle nudges from divinity. Man, I, I want to be in tune. And really, that's that's what you've been saying the whole way through, whether it be from trusting God. To bring you through you know, evangelism, what whatever it is. We it's disqualify ourselves, Pastor, because we look at our own personal failures and flaws. We think God can't use us. There's an interesting phrase after uh, Abner's killed, and David tries to tell the country, brag on Abner. You see, there was only one tribe that was supportive of David at the time. And if Abner was still alive, I'm sure in David's mind, he felt like we could bring this unify Israel faster. But he makes this statement. He said, I am weak, mm -hmm. but anointed. Yeah. And I want everyone to remember that even in your weakness, don't ever forget you have an anointing on you. Wow. And that anointing supersedes and surpasses every weakness that you might be confronted by. Mm -hmm. I could list you people in the Bible who were weak, but they but, also were anointed. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why this just came to mind, but uh, the meanest mothers in all of Israel were uh, the mothers of the tribe of Benjamin. Mm -hmm. They were mean, horrible. They would tie their little boy's food up with a horse hair and hang it from a branch. There's your, there's your breakfast. There's your supper, honey. You want it? Take your slingshot and hit that horse's hair and knock it down. Then you can eat. You get hungry enough, you'll figure out how to do that. Yeah, you will. The deal was they got done with that. She made him learn how to do it with her left hand. And if you look in the Bible, 
the three different places that left hand is mentioned, several of them, if you if you're going by what Brother Strong's has to say, and he's he knows a lot about stuff. <laughs> Wound, uh, left-handed means wounded in the right hand. If you're a swordsman and you're in battle, you get your right arm wounded. They give you in America. They give you a purple star. They give you an honorable discharge. It gets you a little blue tag to hang on your yeah. rearview mirror. You got yes. a special parking place. You're honored. You're you were wounded in battle. But if you were from the tribe of Benjamin, you got your right arm messed up. Switch hands and keep fighting. Wow. So the 700 left-handed men were actually, could it be 700 men that were wounded in the right hand, but they still kept on fighting? Mm, so wow. my advice, you pe people move, well, yeah, I just got hurt at the last place I was at. Yeah. <laughs> Who so hasn't been hurt? We've all been hurt by something or someone. What absolutely. Change hands and keep fighting. Wow. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's Sing a it. Not a game. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your guitar? <laughs> wow. Uh, actually, I'm a better guitarist than I am a singer. Brother so C.W. Shue heard me one time sing a duet with my wife. He said, son, you want to have good revivals? You let your wife do the singing and you stick to preaching. <laughs> uh, uh, that's so good. Are you, are you going to be like um, Bishop Lambeth? He before he signed off, he signed up for a second episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, I, as I said earlier to you before we got on, I'm kind of like horseradish. A little bit of me goes a long ways. <laughs> People can only stand so much of me one, at one time. Uh, talking about. Seemed like I bumped in somehow to a uh, weak though anointed, and I don't know if I said the word condemnation. Are you familiar? Maybe some of our listeners aren't with the term gaslight. Yes. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, my understanding is that it came from a book or movie, which I have not either read nor seen. I have not used that in my daily vocabulary, but I understand what I little bit I understand is that people who gaslight you um, trying to mess with feeling your understanding your belief of who you are and, and whatever that you are wrong in whatever situation the devil is a master of that he does it with condemnation mm. and when I started doing a little thinking about this gaslighting thing. And I, who knows, I might preach about it someday, but I had to smile when I thought of what made Bishop Han uh, Haywood go to his room for two or three days, come out of it on a Sunday morning, mm -hmm. go to the pulpit and sing a song. I see a crimson stream yeah. of blood. It said, when Satan whispers and tells me I've sinned, no use to pray. I, Look away to Jesus, and he tells me to say, yeah. I see a crimson stream of blood. No wonder we have a song called Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Somebody yeah. was gaslighted, is all I can say. Yeah. <laughs> but the good news is we're still here. The devil's given us his best shot, and we're still here. And we're still here. In the name of Jesus, still having church, Yeah. still feeling good in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. I have to ask you, have, have you ever started a sermon and never said... I greet you in the name of Jesus. Yes, I have. I've probably done, as far as I can remember, uh, four or five. 
uh, all but one or two, uh, there have been a, a couple of times I injected it later in the sermon. All right. <laughs> but because I remember that, man, I forgot to say that. And there's a couple of times I was told, hey, you forgot to say that. And yeah, I have some special friends that will remind me that I didn't say it if I ever did. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I need that. Another quick question I had, I was thinking we were yes. preparing for this. Have you ever, have you ever been cut off like mid sermon, like had to stop a service for like a weird reason or any memorable church services that ended like, you know, somebody fall out on the floor or, or the power went out. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Tell us about some humorous times. Well, I preached with the lights out. I preached just as bad with the mouth as I do with mom, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh, Lord Jesus. Uh, have you ever have you ever collapsed preaching or tripped or nothing like that? I've seen you oh, on what, top of what the was pulpit. The, what was the one? I was sure it was Brother... Well, this is bad. I think Brother Bo told me at Brother Strevel's that you fell out or something on purpose. Didn't you? Oh, yeah. Well, I had to, in 1919, oh, Jesus, <laughs> in 2013, <laughs> I uh, had to deal with blood clots. And um, I was given some medication called Zeralto, which was high, highly experimental, highly expensive. But if I was put on Coumadin, I would no longer be able to travel. I would be restricted in so many ways, diet and everything. But this thing called Zeralto has absolutely no restrictions. It gets your blood level perfect within four hours. Uh, for some people, there's complications. For others, there's not. With me, it's worked wonderful for the last seven years. But I come home, I'm still kind of fragile, if you will. I'm not feeling, I'm feeling probably 75% of what I should be. But the Strevel calls, and I preached his youth conference for many years. He said, now, Elder, I don't want you to, this was like a week before his meeting or so. He said, Elder, I, I want you to come. I'm going to pay you whether you preach or not. <clears throat> but I don't, <clears throat> I want you to come, but don't feel like you got to preach. I said, well, well, at least let me try. He said, well, bless God, I don't want you dropping dead in my pulpit. <laughs> well, then he said, drop dead in my pulpit. Yeah. Oh, my. The Holy Ghost. That, or that other ghost. <laughs> <laughs> something. I had a little something, something. just something, yeah. So I called Ken Bo, and I said, Brother Bo, this is what conversation I had with Brother Strebel. I said, I've been, I've been thinking today. I think I'm going to get up since he said he don't want me dropping dead. I'm going to talk for a few minutes. I'm going to just kind of start weaving around while I'm talking. And then oh I'm my. just going to go over backwards. Oh so my I'm going to goodness. tell my wife ahead of time so she won't have a heart attack thinking that I'm dead up there. <laughs> but the boy said, awesome. He said, I got a stethoscope. I'll bring a stethoscope and I'll run up there and I'll check. And I'll check. Oh. <laughs> so I get there and I tell Brother Steve, but I'm, I think I'm going to, going to try it. So he introduces me, and so I'm hanging on both sides of the pulpit, and I did feel a little bit lightheaded, but I kind of weaved around like that and talked for just minutes, and then I just went boom, and they told me my head bounced twice on the carpet. 
You really went for it. I mean, I just went and people gasp and the crowd stands up. <laughs> and Brother Royce Walker jumped up and I did not want him giving me mouth to mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots of problems, but that ain't one of them. Yeah. <laughs> And I jumped back up and I started preaching. Well, the people's, it took them a while to get over that. <laughs> so they haven't let me live that one down. Many, 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 many years ago, I had uh, a spirit of backsliding get in the church. And uh, we had, I think, 17 people backslide one summer. Wow. I was at my wit's end. Uh, I was blown away. <sighs> well, I'm weird enough, but you already knew that. I'm weird enough that drastic measures require de drastic responses. And so, and my basis for that is answer fool according to the folly. So I told <laughs> there you go, put the book on it. My assistant, I said, You're, you won't see me tonight. I'm going to be in the office just have, have church as usual, choir saying, then introduce me to preach and I'll come out of the office. And I left the door open about that much, sitting in the dark. They introduced me. I walked to the pulpit without a Bible. People are standing. I made announcements. The choir went downstairs. Well, some of them did. They get a drink of water and stop by the, the uh, washroom or whatever they were going to do. And they come back upstairs. And uh, I said, I want to thank you all for uh, for allowing me to pass you all these years. I said, but tonight is the last night I will be your pastor. As of tonight, I'm resigning. And I uh, won't give you a month's notice, a two-week notice. I'm not coming back to church after tonight. This is my last night in church. I don't care if you get another pastor. I don't care if you sell the building and turn it into a dance hall. I'm through. People says, oh, God. Oh, Jesus. People started praying. I said, some of y'all have been as sweet as can be to us. And others of you have been critical of me. And those of you didn't have enough guts to be critical of me, took on my wife, and criticized her. If she didn't feel like you could get away doing that, you did my, my kids. I said, after tonight, I'm not putting up with that mess no more. I said, I called the secretary up. I said, here's my key, my key to the church. So oh, Brother Ballester, oh, please don't do this. Oh, God, no, yes, Lord, please don't do this. A lady in the church said, out loud who's been messing with him he was fine this morning <laughs> <laughs> and a, a man named lawrence morris who happens to be the father of brother dennis morris in yeah. romeoville pastors in romeoville illinois didn't have the holy ghost and he had had seven major heart attacks he grabbed his heart said mama did he say what i thought he said oh my lord <laughs> said Yes, Daddy, he did. He said, oh, God. He went back like he's having another one. 
my sister Nyla, who just had a newborn baby, handed her baby to her husband. She was out of it. She is sobbing. I said, why is it okay for everybody else to backslide, but I can't backslide? I said, I don't have to put up with your mess. Mm. Hmm. I said, I'm out of here. And I turned and I walked off the platform. My kids, my sons and daughters sitting on the front row, my wife on the second row. I said, come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. They can have this place. There was a woman on the third row named Jane Boomershine. She used to ride with a Harley motorcycle club. Well, she told me after church, she said, I told myself if he takes one more step towards that door, I'm going to catch him and beat him to a bloody pole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jane Boomershine could have done it. I just tell you that right now. <laughs> My sister and I had come up out of the back seat. That rose. Brother Ballister, oh, Brother Ballister, oh, God, no. And she's coming, <coughs> pardon me, coming for me. And she got about two steps from me. And I knew once she got me, is over. But I looked at the crowd. I said, but where could I go? Uh, and I ran back to the pulpit. I, I'm preaching on where could, I said, I'm preaching tonight on where could I go? When you need <laughs> a doctor, where are you going to go? Ooh. When you need a lawyer, where are you going to go? <laughs> when you need a deliverer, where are you going to go? Wow. Well, people come to the altar. I, I, I preached a little bit more, and they, they had two altar calls that night. They begged me, please promise me you'll never preach that sermon on where could I go no more. So they didn't want to hear that one no more. So that was the closest I had to an interrupted sermon. I came to preach where could I go. The good news is we got 16 of those 17 backsliders back in church. Oh, wow. Uh, anyway, wow. this is still the best life. Yes, Even sir. Even if there's yes, no heaven is. or hell, this is still the best life. Yes, it is. That's what I'm talking about.